0: welcome to on the porch the podcast thanks for joining us that was estill county kentucky's favorite daughter sonora may doing no sweet thing from her new album before that was watch house formerly known as mandolin orange doing new star and we have a special guest here in the studio with us today jane moore waldrop is here to talk about her new book drown town jane is a native of western kentucky with deep roots in eastern kentucky She's also lived and practiced law in Louisville and is now a central part of Lexington's literary community. Besides her new book, she's also written two books of poetry, Retracing My Steps and Pandemic Lent, A Season in Poems. She's a finalist for the Reynolds Price Fiction Prize, the Tilly Olson Fiction Award, and many other honors. I loved Waldrop's new book, "Drown Town, for many reasons, but among them is how memorable and enduring her characters are, her rich sense of place, her exploration of class, race, and the way a place can set up residence in us, and much more. It's a book you will not forget, but I don't want to give too much of it away because I want Jane to talk a little bit about it, so welcome to On the porch, Jane.
1: Thank you, Silas, and I'm so thrilled to be here.
0: I'm glad to have you here. Well, first of all, why don't you tell us what a drowned town is?
1: Okay. A drowned town is a place that has been submerged after a river has been dammed. And usually the, the dam uh, is built for hydroelectric power or for flood control or the, all those reasons. And many of us are familiar with those dams and the resulting reservoirs through the Tennessee Valley Authority or the Corps of Engineers, lakes and dams.
0: Right. Well, what do you want, uh, what do you want listeners out there to know about the book?
1: The book is, um, has a, two really strong female characters and the friendship that takes them from their college days when they meet into middle age. Mm-hmm. And they, they are dissimilar. They, one comes from the city, one from a rural area in western Kentucky. But their friendship uh, is sort of a yin and yang kind mm-hmm. of relationship that carries them through um, their lives,
0: right? They're interesting because they're sort of opposites, but they have such a deep unconditional love. It's like they balance each other out,
1: right? They do. So, um, the book is set in Western, primarily in Western Kentucky, also in Louisville and in Nashville, but it's set around um, the historic events that occurred around the building of Kentucky Lake, Lake Barkley, and the taking of the land previously known as Between the Rivers, uh, to become the, Na- the Land Between the Lakes National Recreation Area. So there was enormous environmental change in western Kentucky in the mid-century, mid-20th century. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this history isn't well known. Uh, if you know western Kentucky at all, you know it's a, it's a place of these giant lakes and um, the you know, in this beautiful recreation area. But all those signs of progress came at great cost to the people who lived there and who lost their communities mm-hmm. and their culture and their history in many ways.
0: Right. So it did give recreation and a sort of a new sort of economy to the area. Yes. Yes. Um, and I guess uh, flood control, right, yes. was part of Yes, all those it. really necessary right.
1: things that are done in for the public good and uh-huh. in the public interest. But um, as I started looking into that history, I started realizing um, that the the sacrifice and the loss of home and place is so important in that region. Um you know, you, you see these lakes, and they look as though they've been there forever, but they're not natural lakes. They are, you know, human-created, mm. and um, that came at a, a great uh, cost right. for some people.
0: Well, now, you grew up in Paducah. I did. So how did you come to know the Land Between the Lakes area and Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley so well?
1: Well, I grew up in Paducah. I didn't have really any family connections to the lake areas, but I was one of those uh, beneficiaries of this progress because I grew up with access to these wonderful lakes, mm-hmm. you know, for for my own recreation. I grew up going to land between the lakes and loved that. It's a really part of, a big part of my life as far as how I connect to nature wow. and how I love being outdoors and the hiking and um, just, you know, it's a, it's a big part of, of my background and and my preferences on how I spend my own recreational Mm -hmm. time. So um, that's how I got to know it. But as an adult, um, I also got to know it um, by doing research and seeing signs of what used to be there. As I walked along the shoreline in Old Katawa, which is one of those drowned towns or actually a half drowned town, Mm -hmm. because there are a few remaining houses there that face the lake. Um, and they were at one time in a really bustling uh, small town in on the Cumberland River. So uh, I was walking along the shoreline and saw these signs of what used to be there. their are house foundations and slabs of asphalt that are still mm-hmm. stuck to the earth. Um, you can see these signs during when the water is at its lowest at Winter Pool. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's, it seemed as though that is that is the history of the area, but it's fairly recent history. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt very close to see these signs of what used to exist there. Right.
0: Um, what you picked in advance to read to us, it has something to do with that, doesn't it? Or is that right? Yes. Would well, you yes. want to share I've that with to... us?
1: Sure. A lone bronze marker revealed the spot's history as the former site of Eddyville a thriving town settled near a series of bends in the Cumberland River, which snakes a course through the middle of the country, from mountains to barrens to rolling hills. The plaque told the town's role in American history as an outpost on the western frontier, as an important junction during the Civil War, as a commercial center and county seat. The tarnished words also described mid-century government projects for flood control, hydroelectric power, and tourism When the flowing river was dammed. The sign memorialized U.S. presidents, vice presidents, and governors from Kentucky and Tennessee, but failed to mention the people who had lived in the town and given up their homes as the giant lake rose. They had been told their sacrifice was for the public good. They were never told how much they would miss it or for how long. Cam wondered if the adults had realized what they were losing when everyone was moved out. At the time, she had been a child not privy to their conversations about the relocation. Maybe some folks jumped at the chance to leave this place and its floodwaters, where the river crawled out of its bed and slipped into town at least once a year, usually in late winter or spring. They had tired of shoveling mud-caked streets and sidewalks, pumping out perennially musty wet basements, and moving furniture to the attic. The chance to live on higher ground lured them away, enticed by the gift of free land for those who committed to build in a town that sprouted in a cornfield two miles away. Others had fought the taking of their land, but without success. In the end, everyone was forced out.
0: Well, you mentioned in there the the people. And one thing I love about the book is you talk about how, you know, the governors are remembered and these et cetera, et cetera. But the people who really made up the place are just sort of forgotten and erased and Mm -hmm. totally erased in in a big way by the water. Um, And so one thing I love so much about this book is that you give those people voices, right? And you um, so some of the characters are are people who uh, lived there before the lake. Yes, The lakes come, and and some are much later who are enjoying the lake. And so there's this juxtaposition um, and an awareness of the past all through it. Um, But but like we referenced earlier, our two main characters are best friends who are really different. So let's talk a little bit about Margaret, because Mm -hmm. she's such an interesting character, because she's an anti-hero, and she's... Sometimes we just get frustrated with her and want to shake her. But (laughs) but we also have an insight into her vulnerabilities, which makes us ultimately love her. So it's just one of the most complex character creations I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Thank you. Yeah, she's not very likable in many ways. Yeah, but Um,
0: she's real, right? I mean, (laughs) sometimes the unlockable things about her are also things that we sort of might not say out loud but we you know she sometimes says out loud what i want to say but i was raised not to right
1: right (laughs) she's pretty unfiltered in her right her reactions to other people yes in her relationships with other people
0: and so even when she's being hateful and (laughs) you know and ill-tempered and things like that there's still something endearing about it in some strange way um is she just totally, you know, a figment of your imagination, or is she lots of people put together and a dose of fiction, or what?
1: Yeah, I think she is. I think she's an amalgam of, you know, people that, um, because I practiced law for a long time, I've seen really demanding people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and especially um, when they're under stress mm-hmm. and a lot of pressure to get things done, some of the not very desirable personality traits yes. come out. So, I just Margaret is just sort of an amalgam of, of law practice. Right. But there's <laughs> also a, as a successful lawyer, she's very yes. successful because she is so demanding. Right. Um, but she pretty much makes life miserable for those around her. Mhm.
0: But it's interesting, you know, if she was a if she was a man in that world, True. She may not have to be as forceful to be heard, right. et cetera, right? Right, right. And so there is the element of that that I really admire about her, too.
1: Especially, um, you know, Margaret at the time, the current action in the book is at middle age. Mm-hmm. But I think she learned these habits and patterns when um, a lot of women lawyers were coming up and um, it was a very male-dominant business mm-hmm. and profession
0: right on the flip side of that we have a character like cam who in a way i think it's harder to pull off because she's so good you know and it's it's really hard to pull off a, a, a really good character without them coming off as i don't know sentimental or smarmy or something but she's never she never comes across that way And i'm not quite sure how you did that and to me, that's a sign of good writing when you oh, can't. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, but she's also just, she's very human, mm-hmm. but I feel she just always has the best intentions. She's always trying to be the best person, the best friend, et cetera, mm-hmm. that she can be. I feel the best daughter. Did you feel that way about her?
1: Well, I really like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she is a good character, but I think she's also honest to Margaret. Right. She really yes. tempers Margaret. Yeah by not always being just kind, but by telling mm-hmm. Margaret, you know, she needs to loosen up a little bit. And, and she's the only one that can get away with that. Right, though. right.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about um, your influences. Um, I mean, who, who are your favorite writers overall, and are there writers in particular that you feel like influenced this particular work?
1: Well, I th- think that... You know, I am a a huge fan of so many writers who are who have Kentucky and Appalachian connections. Of course, I love your books, Silas House. So right, yeah. um, that's that's an easy influence to to recognize. Also, Bobby Ann Mason has mm-hmm. been an influence on my writing and my reading because she also is a Western Kentuckian mm-hmm. uh, and she has made, stories set in similar communities as in my drowntown yes. she has made them come to life in her stories now you know for uh since shiloh came out in mm-hmm. the early 80s and so i i think she's been a huge influence um this is a book of linked stories or a novel in stories i guess if you want to call it that too and so that's that format of fiction has been important in, in my writing this book. So I I've, have appreciated the writing of Elizabeth Strout and uh, Olive Kittredge and Olive Again. I like that format of the, the linked stories because you can bring in so many different characters mm-hmm. and tell their stories. They're all linked. All of my characters are linked to this place uh, in Western Kentucky, um, but you get a view through a lot of different um, perspectives. You know, I have a an inmate at the Kentucky State Penitentiary who's seeing the lake rise uh, after the dam is built. Um, also, uh, an appraiser who is appraising land that is being condemned under the power of eminent domain uh, between the rivers. So um, I'm trying to give a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm.
0: It's so smart to have that inmate, you know, because he has little else to do but to watch the water rise, you know, right. so he's seeing it change over years and it's right. such a smart device in that way. Um, well, one thing um, about the book is you clearly have a deep love for Kentucky. Um, I do. And and like you said, it is very much set in Western Kentucky, but in lots of ways it encompasses the whole state and the South. And I mean, I think it it's much more than a Kentucky story. I mean, it's, a, it's an American story. It's so much about erasure and the way so many people have been removed and things like that. Right. Um, I mean, we can think about women in that way. Mm-hmm. We can think about minorities in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there are people of color in your book and mm-hmm. LGBT characters. and uh, Again, you're giving them voice, but I especially think the racial element in your book is so beautifully done Because so few people think about a community of black people living in western Kentucky.
1: Right. And so
0: I love that story that looks at that. Do you want to talk a little bit about it?
1: Yes. um, You know, a lot of people um, think of a very homogenized rural community, you know, that's... um, But actually, western Kentucky, just like all of Kentucky and, and most rural places, it reflects you know, the American population. There are lots of, you can't generalize about the population. So I wanted to bring in um, for that story, because there is historically a connection to the Between the Rivers, Land Between the Lakes area, because African Americans were um, resident there. They they worked in the iron industry in in Trigg and Lyon counties in uh, Stewart County, Tennessee. So um, that history is very much a part of the history of Land Between the Lakes. Mm-hmm. And because when uh, Land Between the Lakes became a recreation area, so much of the history, at least the tangible signs of what existed there before the recreation area. So many of those, um, there aren't very many remnants left. It was all torn down, all homes, businesses, churches, schools. Everything was torn down when uh, it became a recreation area to return it to it like a a natural state. Hmm. So I think it's important for us to take a look at that history and acknowledge it, that there were communities there um, and... We need to remember that.
0: Right. It's easy to go to a place like Land Between the Lakes and just think, oh, this is the virgin forest, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> really. Humans never lived here, yeah. and that's um, that's a false impression.
0: Right. We are talking to Jane Moore Waldrop about her new book, Drowntown, here on WUKY 91.3 FM listener-supported radio. Well, Jane... Uh, What about the influence of the Hyman Settlement School and Appalachian Writers Workshop? I should say that your book is published by the University Press of Kentucky, but it's under Hyman Settlement School's imprint, Fireside Industries, and full disclosure, I am the editor there, and so I edited this book. Um, But I would say all of these nice things about it, even if I hadn't. Um, (laughs) So what did it mean to you to go to, to the Appalachian Writers Workshop?
1: It has made all the difference in the world in my writing. I think Um, my family is originally from Eastern Kentucky. I never lived there; they moved to Paducah right before I was born. So um, I've had, I am connected by my lineage to uh, Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky, but I never lived there. But in going to the and being a participant in the Appalachian Writers Workshop, I have found a community Mm -hmm. of complete support for my writing, and also um, the instruction through the workshop to write in a way that only I can write, to tell the Mm. stories that only I can tell, which that is a huge um, mark of encouragement to any newer writer. Right?
0: Yeah, there is this idea that writers are totally solitary creatures and all that, and I mean... I think that we do have some, uh, we obviously have to have some introspective and introverted traits, but like anybody else, we need community. And so I think a lot of people who are not writers don't think about how important community is to us as writers. And, right. and we're so lucky here to have such a generous Not all places have such a generous writing community. Some of them are (laughs) cutthroat communities. I mean, people have told me that from other states. So I feel really lucky.
1: We are lucky. And, um, you know, I just have had enormous support from both my teachers there and, you know, the other participants, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that means forming a writing group. And we all exchange uh, stories to comment on. And we do it all online because uh, the workshop attracts people from New York and Nantucket and North Carolina yeah. and uh, Oregon. So it's a really really diverse group that comes and and you're given not only the skills but also um, encouraged to not not necessarily write like anyone else there, mm-hmm. but you know to find your place where you want to be telling these stories.
0: Right. Well, what have you been reading lately that you love? I mean, we, of course, we want everybody to to get a copy of your book, but can you give them another recommendation?
1: Well, I've been reading Perfect Black by Crystal Wilkinson, mm-hmm. which just came out in August, I think. And it's a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. book. Um, I also, let's see, right now I've, I've been reading... Um, the Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois.
0: That's a quite a big book, isn't it? Is. It is. Like 900 a, it's pages? A big,
1: it's a big book, and <laughs> yeah. I'm almost done. It's wow. been a really great read. I've, I'm enjoying it a lot um, because it tells, again, a rural community story, hmm. also with some some family members. It is truly like an epic kind mm-hmm. of book, uh, and it goes for many generations too. So I'm really intrigued mm. by that format too. So, um, I it's a, it's I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, great. What about music? Any music you've been loving lately?
1: Well, I've uh, the Brandy Carlile new album, new release, mm-hmm. and also I guess the last time I was down at the lakes. You know, I I, I do try to spend a lot of time there. Um, was listening to Sturgill Simpson, yeah. Juanita and the Dude mm-hmm. out on the water, really like and that it. was that was a. I like that song a lot. Yeah, it has a great Get dog out. song on it. The yes.
0: Sound. It's, yes, it's hard to find a really good dog song, it, <laughs> it, and that's a good one. One last thing I want to talk a little bit about is you capture lake life. And that's something that I've not. I don't think I've ever seen it in literature. I grew up very near Laurel Lake. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were always on the water. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, we were called water dogs because we were just always skiing and swimming and on air tubes and jumping out of trees into the water, off cliffs, you know, doing things we shouldn't have been doing, um, camping and fishing. And it's such a particular way of life. And there's a one scene in particular. I remember in downtown where, um, Cam's father is teaching Margaret how to ski, yeah. and I have been witness to that so many times. It's like such a, uh, when you're in the boat, it's a really frustrating, and uh, right. it, it seems to take forever, but then it's like s- such a jolt of adrenaline when somebody finally gets up, right, and skis. Right. And it's, so it's, just little things like that you capture.
1: Well, and I've tried to remember my own experience of learning how to water ski, and it's yeah. like, can I stop now? Right. <laughs> you know? I'm ready to get in the boat. And then yeah. I got up and then I got up the next time. You
0: know? <laughs> it's little moments like that, you know, that make it so real, but it's also serving the story because it's that sort of epitomizes the way that Margaret, as somebody who feels like she doesn't have much of a blood family, mm-hmm. she has this created family. Yes. You know, and that scene really just shows their Patience with her and their love for her and her trust in them and the way that she's patient with them in a way she wouldn't be with anybody else. So
1: right, and she she got something from that family that she had never gotten from her own parents, right. and you know, like you said, the patience yes. and the love and the you know, we're all in this together kind of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I always tell my students that any good piece of writing it. it it can't just be a well-written scene and it can't just be fun or whatever. It also has to serve the heart of the story. And I think that's a good example of that where you can sort of get just lost in it as a reader thinking about how well you can see it in your mind's eye, but then later you realize how it is serving the heart of the of the book, right? So, thank you. So thank you for writing um, such a, a lovely book. Um, and thank you for joining us here today, Jane. It's been a pleasure.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thank you.
0: I hope all of you will look for Jane Moore Waldrop's Drowned Town, available wherever fine books are sold. And I hope you might join us next time here on The Porch. We're going to close with a song that makes me think of many of the themes going on in Drowned Town. It's Orange and Blue by Sarah Jarosz. Y'all be good to one another, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On The Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio, and we thank you for joining us.